If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the Old Testament book of Job. It's right before Psalms. If you're not familiar with where Job is, you haven't looked there in a while, uh, I don't blame you. <laughs> it's, right before, it's right before Psalms. And we're going to look at Job chapter 19, verses 10 and 11 this morning. I'm also going to look at Zephaniah um, chapter 3, verse 5. They'll be on the screens, but uh, you might turn to Job. And I keep your Bibles open. I'm um, really praying the Lord to kind of bring some verses to your mind as we uh, look at them this morning, praying for God to remind us of some things and to show us some very specific things this morning as we talk about our series on activating agreements that all through the day you hear voices, you have thoughts, um, and some of these thoughts are true on agreements, some of these thoughts are not true, and you either agree or disagree with them, okay? Satan lies to you, and he wants you to agree with them. Uh, Jesus tells you the truth. He wants you to agree with him, and whatever agreement you made activates something in your life. It activates life, or it activates death in your life, and I mentioned last week one of the things I want to, uh, I want to do, love for you to be able to do, is to spot these lies quickly and to spot the truth quickly. And I talked about uh, hiking out in the woods down in the forest and there was a snake was in the path in front of me and I mean, my body stopped before I really could process uh, what it was. I was kind of hoping I was done with that. I was hiking in the woods just last week and uh, I killed a copperhead. Well, actually I didn't. I just met a copperhead and then the Lord called him home. And uh, <laughs> so sad. The Lord called him home. And then I, I went walking on the nature trail, y'all, and I, and I was walking. I looked to my right, and there was a snake looking at me in the tree. Just looking at me. And I, and I walked right by, and I was like, that couldn't have been a snake. But when I come back by, he wasn't there again. And so I hope, what it, I hope we all learn to spot those lies really, really quickly because I'm tired of seeing snakes every week. Okay, I'm done with the snake thing, all right? So uh, let's look at Job chapter 19. And we're going to talk about, last week was an introductory study, an introductory message, kind of introducing you to this idea of agreements. And what we're going to do now is talk about several different areas. Today we're going to talk about agreements that we make about God. Job 19, verse 10. Agreements that we make about God. Uh, look at what Job, now, if you're not familiar with the story of Job, uh, boy, you don't want to, you know, some people in the Bible want to be like, Job's not one of them. Um, Job was a very righteous man, very godly man, and um, God and Satan seemed to have gotten into some sort of discussion one day, and um, Satan said, nobody serves you for naught, they just serve you because you make life good for them, and God said, what about Job, and and so God gave Job, uh, Satan permission uh, to uh, do some bad things to Job. And, um, and uh, as a kind of a test subject, would somebody really serve God just because he's God? And Satan attacked him and uh, took away his, his family, uh, everybody but his wife, and uh, his, his, um, his riches, uh, his reputation, all that, and, and his health. And so Job is in a really, really bad way, and he hasn't done anything to deserve this. Now, Job's a sinner like everybody else, but nothing to deserve all this kind of stuff. He wasn't worse than anybody else, and so his friends are telling him, man, you just need to confess your sins. You're obviously got some kind of secret sin going on. Job's like, I really don't. And so Job has kind of had it. We don't blame, you know, we really don't want to blame Job, Job at this point because we'd probably feel the same way, right? Look in Job chapter 19. But I want you to see, and I mentioned last week, a lot of times it's out of our distress and our disobedience that we make agreements. And we can watch them there, and you're going to see it here out of Job's distress. He breaks me down on every, he's talking about God. He breaks me down on every side, and I am gone. My hope he, God, has uprooted like a tree. 
He has also kindled his wrath against me, and God counts me as one of his enemies. And look at Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 5, and you'll hear truth here to counteract this lie that, that Job has bought into from the enemy. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 5, and uh, the first part of the verse says, The Lord within her is righteous. He does no wrong. Everybody say no wrong. So who are you going to believe? You got these two different ideas coming along. One says God's my enemy. The other one says God does no wrong. And we're going to have that all through your life of Satan trying to turn you against God and God offering you life and life abundantly. And so we make agreements. We tend to believe one or the other. And whoever we believe and make an agreement with is going to greatly impact our life. I was reading a book by a guy named Craig Groeschel, Craig Groeschel, or Groeschel, uh, I was pastor of a, guy, of a church named Life Church, one of the larger churches in the country. But years ago, when they were a smaller church, they had their offices in a storefront. And uh, several of the pastors worked there during the day. And um, listening to him, he seems like, Craig seems like the kind of guy who likes to have a lot of fun. He has a big personality. And uh, they would play games on each other uh, during the day. Uh, Capture the Flag was one of the games they would play. And uh, so he, he said, but they said nothing can start till 8 o'clock. And Craig used to get to the office around 7. And he said he got there at 7 o'clock one day. And he was walking uh, through, the, through their offices there to his office. And he said his spidey sense went off. Y'all know what that is, right? Everybody say Spider-Man. Yeah, spy, his spidey sense went off. And he sensed something wasn't quite right. And he opened the closet door, and there was Pastor Kevin in there. <laughs> he said, I don't know if he spent the night in there. He got there early, but he's waiting for 8 o'clock, right? And so Craig spots him in there, slams the door, sticks his foot at the door, and says, I'm not going to let you out. I'm going to put a chair under this doorknob, and you're spending the day in that closet. And he's like, please don't, please don't, please don't. And so he looks around, and he can't find a chair. There's no chair handy. And so he's like, oh, man, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And so he says, you're, you're, you, you, you've done it now because I've got a chair under this doorknob, and you're going to stay there the rest of the day. And guess what? He believed him. <laughs> believed him. Let me out. Let me out. All he had to do was turn the knob. Let me out, let me out, don't let me, don't let me stay here. And so he left him in the closet because he had a premarital counseling appointment at 8 o'clock. So at 8 o'clock, he's in the premarital counseling appointment. He said about 8.25, he hears something in the ceiling. <laughs> Sounds like something's crawling around up there. And uh, Pastor Kevin had climbed up the shelves in the closet, had got one of the ceiling tiles loose, and he's crawling in the ceiling. So this guy's sitting there with a premarital counseling with this young couple, and uh, at 8.25, one of the ceiling tiles moves, and Kevin looks down. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, Pastor Craig says to the pre I don't know what this, count this poor premarital counseling couple's thinking. I mean, what in the world? He says, I I'm sorry you're trapped. <laughs> I'll call the fire department as soon as I get done. And he went back, and he stayed in there until they went and let him out. Why did he stay in there? He believed a lie. He made an agreement with a lie, and he was trapped when he didn't have to be. And that's where a lot of us live. We have listened to the enemy say, you're trapped. You're trapped. You can't have a good marriage. 
You can't get free of your addictions. You can't have real joy or peace in your life. It's not for you. You can't have real meaning. You can't have good friendships. Your life's not going to mean that much. Your life really won't matter. And if you believe it, you've made an agreement, and it becomes true in your life. It's not true, but it becomes true in your life. Why? You never turn the doorknob. You never listen to the truth of what Jesus says. What is the truth of what Jesus says? He is at work right now. Everybody say right now. Jesus is at work right now freeing you of your addictions. Jesus is at work right now building you a good marriage. Jesus is at work right now freeing you from the trashy thoughts that you have and I have. He's at work right now freeing us from the anxiety and fear that traps us from living the life of freedom and testimony he wants. He's freeing us from these things right now. Who do you believe? Now, if you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never truly been converted, the truth is that Jesus right now is trying to get you to see, the Holy Spirit get you to see, that because of your sin, and the same thing is true of everybody, our sin creates a separation between us and God. The wages of sin is death, eternal death, eternal separation. But Jesus died for you and for me paid the cost for my, for my sin and rose from the dead that if I would believe in him as my Lord, I'll surrender to him as my boss, I trust that what he did for me was good enough that I could be saved. I can make an agreement with Jesus and say, Lord, I believe that what you did on the cross was enough for me. I believe you rose physically from the dead. I'm sorry for my sin. And I turn to you and I ask you to forgive me and make me a new person, and I trust you to do that right now. Or you can believe in Satan that says, you're not good enough, you can do it tomorrow, you have more time, it's not that easy, it's not that simple, and whatever agreement you make depends on where you spend eternity. But you see, here's the thing I want to get, I want to get at today. What you believe about God, these are, we're talking about God agreements today. What we believe about God are the biggest agreements and the biggest beliefs and the biggest thoughts that we'll ever have in our life. If there's an almighty God, king of the universe, and he created you and me, created all this stuff, and we're going to stand before him one day, nothing can be more important than that. How in the world can anything or anybody or any thought be more important than what we think about Almighty God? And so today, we're going to see this idea of making agreements. Satan's going to do his very, very best to turn you against God. Jesus is going to offer you life and life abundantly. And so it's very different. And we need to learn to spot them, okay? To spot the scams that Satan's offered us and to spot the offers that Jesus is making us. So let's look at it today. Let's talk about the lies against God and the truth for God. Three things I want to mention today as we think about the agreements we make, the truths or lies we believe about God. First of all, let's talk about the importance. 
As I said a minute ago, these are the most important beliefs you have. These are the most important thoughts you have. This most important thing you'll ever consider is who is God, what is God like, and what is your relationship with God. Nothing can be any more important than that. To try to compare something with the importance of God, it's just ludicrous, right? I mean, it's like comparing your family's health with tearing a hole in your shirt. It's no comparison. Your family's health is so much more important than if you tear a hole in your shirt. It's like I'm comparing your marriage with missing a TV show. Your marriage, it's, it's ludicrous to even think about that. Anything you would compare to God is so much smaller and so much less important, it's hard to even think about it. Now, if I gave you a true-false quiz today on this, you'd get it right, right? If I gave you a true-false quiz and it went like this, uh, uh, God is good, true or false, God is love, true or false. Uh, God is out to get you, true or false. God is, can't be trusted, true or false. You get them all right, right? True, true, false, false. Okay, hope you got it all right. <laughs> make 100% on that. But here's the thing, guys. Our truest beliefs is not what we score on a test. Our truest beliefs is how we act and how we talk and the attitudes we live with. That's where our truest beliefs come out at. And so... We have to learn to kind of monitor what we're doing, monitor what we're saying, monitor our reactions to see what kind of belief is fueling this. And I want to encourage you uh, right now and all through the series, but uh, right now I want to encourage you just as you're listening to me to say, Lord, help me to see any wrong agreements I have about you. I would believe that everybody has one or two. Probably more. I know I do. I know God's been showing me some this week. Um, and so I just got to believe that just about everybody has some kind of agreement about God that you've made and that you live by, and you would deny it if I asked you about it, all right? If you would ask me, do you believe God is really good or you believe God is really love? If you would ask me, I'd say yes, but there's times when I don't act like it, okay? So I want you to ask God to help you see it. And I want to mention three broad categories under this idea of the importance of these. And I know there's so many more, but, you know, we've only got a limited amount of time. So I'm trying to pick three really, really big categories to kind of for us to work on this morning. The first one, um, the first one um, is this. God is not really for you. And we say it all the time, God's with you, in you, and for you. But there's a lot, and I'm going to show you how this kind of works in a minute. There's a lot of us that have this idea, we've made this agreement, that God is not really for you in all the details of your life, in all the, all the uh, moments of your life, all the weeks of your life. It's what's happened to Job. Look at what Job said. He has kindled his wrath against me, and he counts me as one of his enemies. Job was a godly man. God loved Job. And yet, because of the distress, and I said last week, sometimes it's in the hardships and the difficulties of life that these agreements kind of come to the surface. And Job finally comes to the place where he says, God's my enemy. God is against me. God's taken away all of my hope. The truth is he had, and there's a lot of hope for Job in Job 42, right? He said, there's a lot of hope coming for Job, but he can't see it right now. An agreement for many of us will come out during a hard time like this. You prayed for something really, really hard, and you thought it was God's will, and it didn't happen the way you prayed for. And though you would never say it out loud, you came to agreement of, God doesn't really care about my prayers. 
And you wouldn't say it, but the way you pray gives you away. The way you pray kind of half-heartedly, not with a lot of faith, not with a lot of love, kind of treat God as kind of distant, kind of gives you away a little bit. Something happened to you that wasn't really your fault, and it hurt you deeply. And you wouldn't say it out loud, but you think, God really loved me. God really for me. He would have not let that happen to me. Something devastating happens in your life, and you know God could have stopped it. And you suddenly make an agreement with the enemy. Boy, if God really loved me, he wouldn't let that happen. God's really for me. He wouldn't have let that happen. And that's what happens is that Satan whispers in your life. He whispers to you, God is not really for you. God is really not going to come through for you. God is not involved and he doesn't care. Agreements about God like this come out in statements like this. Where are you and why aren't you helping me? You ever said that? Where are you and why aren't you helping me? I'm not saying that saying that's a bad thing. All of us feel that way sometimes. In fact, it can be a really good thing because what? It helps you see that you're making an agreement with the enemy and you can break. If you see it, you can break it. Second law of the enemy, God's way is not really best. Once again, uh, Job says what? He, he counts me as his enemy. And you would have a hard time if you went to Job and said, Job, God's way is best, and Job would be like, there ain't no way you ever get me to believe that in a thousand years. Now, look at what I'm living in. Now, if Job could see a thousand years of the future and how God blesses his life and how God uses him to encourage people over thousands and thousands of years, Job might agree with you today. I don't think Job's going to agree with you on that day. And so he makes this agreement that God's way is not really best. And this comes out in your disobedience. Watch this. Why do you disobey God? Why? A lot of the times you disobey God, and this is something you got to ask God to show you this because Satan is a liar and he's a scammer and he's trying to go under the surface. He's trying to stay under the radar. What he's trying to lie, he's got you to believe a lot of times is, I know a better way than God does. Why would you disobey? Why, not, why would I disobey? Well, because I think if I do this, I'll have a little more fun, I'll have a little more relief, enjoy myself a little more, won't be quite so, uh, life won't be quite so hard. And so what I'm saying is, I think my way is a little, and you never, Satan doesn't want you to think that out loud, we're trying to expose him now. It just comes out in our lives, right? It just comes out in our lives in disobedience. Similar beliefs, the Christian life is boring. What does that mean? God's way is not really this. The Christian life is too restricted. The Christian life takes all the fun out of life. Now, let me just say this. I have said before that if you sin and you don't have fun when you sin, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> okay. There is some fun in sin. Now, as a Christian, you can't enjoy it like you could before you became a Christian. But let me say this. If you're trying to follow Jesus and you're not ever having any fun in your life, you're doing it wrong. If it's always boring, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> you're doing religion, but you're not really doing life with now. It's not always fun. It's not always enjoyable. Sometimes it's really, really hard. But any life is hard sometimes, right? Right, any life is hard sometimes. Look, let me mention once more, and that is this. God is not worth being inconvenienced about. God is not worth me being inconvenienced, okay? God's not worth me being inconvenienced. So we read about Job's heartache and we think, man, I, I don't want to be inconvenienced that way. You read about Paul and Silas, 
We talked about this this past Wednesday night. These two guys are on a mission trip. They're starting churches. They're leading people to Jesus. They're doing great things. They speak to a demon-possessed slave girl, and she is set free. And because they do the right thing, they take a bundle, they take them before the authorities, they take a bundle of rods, and they beat them black and blue. Put them in jail, put their feet in stocks, and they can't sleep because their feet are spread about where to be cramped, their backs laced with pain, their bruises are bleeding, and at midnight, they start singing. Aren't you glad we've got a singing faith? <laughs> we have a singing faith because we know that God is really for us and God's way really is best and God is worth being inconvenienced about it. We can sing at midnight when we're hurting. That's the real truth about it. But if, you, if you're not careful, you'll think what? God's not worth being inconvenienced. I think I'll just stay and watch church online today. Now, I know a lot of our people, some of our people are very sick. And, very, and we love them watching online, and we are so glad they can watch online. And I know Hopewell people would never do this, but people at other churches, sometimes they say they just stay at home because it's easier. Really, just, just can't be inconvenienced to get dressed and come to church. Can't be inconvenienced enough to give a, a one-word testimony. Ah, oh, it might look embarrassed, might be hard, probably encourage an awful lot of people. Can't be inconvenienced to teach class. That's a lot of work, a lot of preparation, you know. Yeah, it is. If I agree to do that kind of ministry, I might have to give up from some of my free time. I might have to give up a Saturday. Yeah, you might. If I tithe, I may have to cut back on my eating out or the size car I drive. Yeah, and, and, and here's the thing. You may be getting defensive right now, and I hope some of you are, really. I really do. Because that shows the agreement. That shows the agreement that God is not worth me being inconvenienced about. I want God to give me a comfortable life. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine, and uh, he said an older guy in his church got saved, a guy that was, uh, I mean, he got saved when he was like 70, 71, 72 years old. I didn't say an old guy. I said an older guy. That, that's a little bit older than most people get saved, right? And he said that um, he got saved when he was about 70, 71 years old. And he said, in my, in my friend's word, he got the full dose. Y'all understand what that means? <laughs> he really got saved. He, got all, he went all in. He went all in. And he, he'd never been in church before. So he's all in with Jesus, right? And he's looking around. And he doesn't feel like everybody else is all in. And it bothered him. And he finally asked his pastor one day, he said, what's wrong with these people? This is serious. People that are all in sometimes feel like saying that. <laughs> this is serious. Our testimony, our church, what, his church, but what we do with church, what we do with our testimony, how we live our life, this is serious stuff. What people believe about God is the most serious thing in the world. In fact, the guy got so frustrated, he told his pastor, he said, I'm going to another church. And he said, you're welcome to go to another church, but I'm going to tell you this, you're going to find the same thing. You're going to find some people who are in love with Jesus and some people who are not. Second thing I want you to see, not only the importance, but I want you to see the impact of this now, okay? The impact of making wrong agreements about God and the impact of making right agreements about God. What we want to do is to see uh, uh, how these, and we're going to use the same three things, and see how they will impact our lives. So first of all, God's not really for you. God's not really for you. Now, if you make that agreement, as I said a while ago, it runs under the surface. You have to really ask the Holy Spirit to show this for you. Um, but if you believe that, what impact does this have on your prayer life? 
Now, if you don't believe God's really for you, you're not really going to want to pray very much, are you? You're not going to really want to pray very seriously. If you believe that, what is, how does that impact your worship? Oh, go to church, what I'm supposed to do. But God's going to feel very distant. God's going to feel out there. When you pray, you're hoping your prayers get through the ceiling, get higher than the ceiling. When if you believe God's really for you, he's right here. He's right here. Well, what kind of witnessing are we going to have if you don't think God's really for you? I mean, you're not really going to be excited about saying, hey, man, following Jesus is the best thing that's ever happened to me if you're not living like that. You're not believing that truth is when Job's life, when he says, I have no hope and God's my enemy, all this stuff that happened to him, the truth is Satan did all that. An enemy did, God didn't do that. He gave permission, but Satan is the one that did that. So what's the truth? What's the agreement that you can make with God about this? Here it is. Here's one of my favorite ones, Psalm 84, verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows what? Favor. There you go. Look at it. God bestows favor and honor. Watch this. No good thing does he withhold for those whose walk is blameless. That's the truth, okay? That's the truth you can say. Lord, thank you. It seems like you're not for me. It seems like you're not really helping here. But I thank you that your word says, no good thing do you withhold with those who walk uprightly. You can use Romans 8.31. What shall we say then in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So anytime that thinking starts to show itself that God's not really for you, you speak truth to the lie. And I want to challenge you this week. Here's your weekly growth suggestion. I mentioned last week. Um, a guy named Craig Rochelle, he's one I talked about earlier. He said that when you are facing these things, that you are to write it, think it, confess it until you believe it. So here's what I want you to do in your weekly growth suggestion this week. I want you to think about that lie that God has shown you that you've made with the enemy. Find the Bible verse, find truth, and then speak that truth to that lie this week. Okay. Find your Bible verse. What, what I've been doing this week, first thing I wake up every morning this week, probably five mornings this week, first thing I've said when I woke up is, Lord, thank you that you don't withhold any good thing those who walk uprightly. Start the day that way. And I want to challenge you to say it out loud three or four times a day. If you don't remember this, this is in your, the weekly growth suggestions on the back of your bulletin. Don't forget, three times a day, if not more, every day, speak the truth that you need to speak. You might get one here in a minute. Second thing I want you to see, we talk about that God's way is not really best. God's way is not really best. You know, I, I can have more fun. I'll be liked more. People won't be mad at me. God, Satan wants you to disobey. And the way he's going to get you to do that is not just to say, look, if you disobey me, all these horrible things are going to happen to you. <laughs> That's, he's a lot better salesman than that. God's way is not really best, you know. And, and the truth is you can have some temporary fun away from God. You can have some temporary relief, but it is not going to be in your long-term best interest, right? It's not going to be in your long-term good. Psalm 119, verse 68, you are good and do good. You are good and do good. Uh, when when uh, Charles Finney's wife passed away, that's the verse he used. No, it wasn't Charles Finney. It was George Mueller. George Mueller, when his wife passed away, that's the verse he used to preach her funeral. God is good and he does good. God is good and he, he did good in giving me my wife. He did good and let me stay with her so long. And he did good taking her when he did so she could be in front of the Savior the rest of eternity. God is good and he 
does good. And we tip, see, here's what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to see some rich person, famous person, and, he th- and you think, man, if I had what they had, if I had their money, if I had, if I had the ability to do things, that, I, I'd be happy. Boy, boy I'd, I'd have it made if I had what they had. What the lie there is, is that God's way is not really best. The truth is, matter, you're a lot better off here with Jesus than you are out there with what they have. If you surrender your life to Jesus and you do your best to follow his will, then you're in the best place you can possibly be. What's the, what's the truth behind this? We sang this one. The greatest thing in all my life is loving you, right? Romans 8, 18. The Bible said, talk about now, you know, God, uh, God's not worth being inconvenienced about. Let's talk about that last one. God's not worth being inconvenienced about. Romans 8, 18, the Bible says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. With nothing we suffer now will be compared to the glory that God's going to reveal to us later. Now what, listen, guys, visiting the lonely person, sharing your faith, praying for your kids, doing devotions with your kids at night, having your kids in youth group, Sunday school, whatever you can do, I promise you, whatever hardship that brings, and I know it's hard sometimes. I know sometimes if you got three or four kids, trying to get them to Sunday school on time can be difficult. Amen? can be really, really hard. <laughs> I, I think if you have over three children and you get to Sunday school on time, you deserve a standing ovation. <laughs> right? Yeah, sometimes it can be a little hard. It's a convenience and all that. But you will always, always, always be glad you did. You always say, this was the best thing I could have done. So can you imagine what it sounds like in the ears of God? The God who gave everything for us. Can you imagine what it sounds like in the ears of God when we say things like, I just think I'll stay home and watch church on TV. I'm talking about if you're healthy now. I'm not getting on folks. Please don't anybody feel guilty if you're sick and, and you're at home. Can you imagine what it feels like for someone to say, ah, you know, Give 10% of my money to the church. That sounds like an awful lot. To the, to the ears of the God who gave us all for you. Hey, if I say something about Jesus, they might, they might think ill of me. They may make fun of me. They may not like me. I may get disinvited to something. Can you imagine what it sounds like in the ears of the God who sacrificed his son? And there's such small inconveniences that sometimes we will back out of and say, ah, just keep your religion to yourself. Let me give you a couple of truths. And these are some better bargains than dirt cheap, Okay. Better bargains than dirt cheap. Look at Hebrews 13, 16. Hebrews 13, 16. And do not forget to do good and share with others for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Look, do good. Even if it inconveniences you, why? God is pl- Do you want to please God? It's the battle rock here. Psalm 19, 17. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they've done. That's a pretty good verse, isn't it? Do you want the Lord to reward you? Then you Give the way God wants you to give. One more. Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's a good one to say every morning. If you, have an, if you, if you don't have a good truth to say every morning, we should wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I thank you that you're my shepherd, and I don't lack anything. I lack nothing. No good thing will you withhold from those who walk uprightly. You see, what I'm trying to do my, in my own life And what I want to encourage you to do is to take God seriously. To take the picture that the Bible gives us of God and say, I believe that's true and 
live that way. Because here's the thing. I want you, if you've been drifting off, come back here. I want, you to, I want you to hear this real quick. If you've never been terrified in the presence of God, if you've never been so thrilled, you want to dance and sing and, and shout in the presence of God, you may be worshiping an idol. Let's think about it. The God who rained down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah, you can play around with him. When the Bible says it's a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God, you look at the God of the Bible, and it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I don't mean so scared you can't come to him, but I mean your knees ought to shake once in a while when you take the idea of this is the kind of God that I've offended. <laughs> and then you take a, a look at the God that you've offended, gave his son, completely wiped out all of your sin. Absolutely no condemnation for those in Christ. That is not something to yawn about. That's not something to fall asleep with. That is something that you ought to have some kind of reaction to. So I would encourage you to learn to react to what God, the truth that God is giving us. Last of all, let's identify. Think about your thinking. Monitor your thoughts. Ask God, what is the biggest lie I believe? What's the biggest truth I can respond to it with? Think back this week over your thoughts, over your reactions to people, over your conversations with people, over your opportunities to share Christ with people. Think back over your week this past week and just ask yourself, Lord, is there, was I believing you weren't really for me right there or did I buy into it? Was I believing you weren't being worth inconvenienced about or did I buy into that or did I really believe your way is is there is there a truth is there a truth that we talked about that I really need to start speaking out loud and agree with you and say it if God is for me who can be against me say it out loud speak truth to the lies that Satan gives you I was reading a book uh, this last couple of weeks and it's a book about the Jesus Revolution. Some of y'all seen the Jesus Revolution movie. Some of y'all been in the Jesus Revolution movie. We actually have the cast of the Jesus Revolution here. They'll be given autographs afterwards. Um, actually, a couple of our church members did get to go uh, to Mobile and be an extra in the Jesus Revolution movie. And, of course, you know movies, uh, they're not always exactly true to the story because they've got to build a story. But I'm reading the book that gives the true story to it. In the book, what a thing that was uh, fascinating to me is that all started with Chuck Smith's wife, Kay. You don't see that in the book. Um, and I'm not saying it all started with, with them, but the Jesus Revolution story that, uh, with Chuck Smith and, and Lonnie Frisbee and all those guys, that, that, a lot of that started with Kay. She was watching the news, and these uh, hippies that had been up to San Francisco, and they had been up there for the great summer of love, Drug, sex, and rock and roll, you know, make love, not war, all that kind of stuff. And, and of course, the summer ended. Now, here's the thing. Um, if you want, you know, free love and free drugs and all this kind of stuff and living communes and all that, the problem comes when if nobody's working, <laughs> you run out of money. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, uh, these guys are digging through trash cans, trying to find something to eat. Um, they're homeless. They don't have enough clothes. Um, and, and, so, and it gets cold in San Francisco, so they start migrating south. And, um, and so Chuck and Kay are watching it on the news, and Kay's heart, Chuck Smith's the pastor of Calvary Chapel there, her heart just broke over it. 
And Chuck said his reaction to all that was, they need to clean up and get a job. <laughs> and a lot of us would have the same reaction probably. But Kay said, they need Jesus. They need Jesus. And she said, Chuck, drive me down to Huntington Beach where a lot of these guys are hanging out at. And let's just go down there and look. And they'd go down there to Huntington Beach where, you know, all the drugs and all the hippies were hanging out and just an awful smell, all of that junk. And like I said, Chuck was more lined up. They need to get a job, clean up, go back home to their mom and daddy. And Kay's like, man, we got to do something. We got to do something to reach these people. And, and their daughter had started dating a guy who'd come out of the Haight-Asbury hippie kind of deal. And, and she's dating a guy that got saved, and he was a Christian. And so they asked her, they asked her boyfriend, said, we've got a heart to reach hippies, and we don't know any. Will you bring us a hippie? <laughs> we want to we we meet a hippie. We don't know any, and they're not going to come to our church. And so would you bring us a hippie? And so he said, yeah, I'll bring y'all a hippie one day. And so, uh, you know, several weeks later, knock on the door, open the door, voila, there's a hippie. And uh, there's this guy, long hair, beads in his hair, you know, the tie-dye shirt, the bell-bottom jeans, the sandals on his feet, the whole kind of thing. And uh, they said, uh, Brother Chuck, Miss Kay, you wanted to, to meet somebody in the hippie movement. I picked this guy up hitchhiking because that's what I do. I pick up these guys hitchhiking. I try to tell them about Jesus. And I picked this guy up. And before I could tell him about Jesus, he started telling me about Jesus. His name is Lonnie Frisbee. And when Lonnie Frisbee and Chuck Smith met, it was like nitro meat and glycerin, y'all. Boom. And they both had lies they could have believed. He's too straight. He's too square. He wears a tie. He don't understand us. He doesn't understand our culture. This guy's a hippie. He's probably doing stuff behind my back I don't know about. He can't really love Jesus. He should be, you know, he should cut his hair. He should look. But those two guys, God put those two guys together and revival broke out. And, and out of that, they end up baptizing sometimes hundreds a week at Pirate's Cove. Because what? They saw truth, and they agreed with the truth, and not with the lie that Satan tried to divide them with. So you may be here this morning thinking about getting saved, thinking about full surrender of your life, thinking about being involved in Sunday school. Would you make an agreement with God this very day? Would you stand, please, with heads bowed and eyes closed? With heads bowed and eyes closed and we're looking around, I want you to pray and ask God today, is there any agreements that you need to break? Any agreements that you need to break this morning? And the way you do that is you just say, Lord, I've been guilty, not all the time, but some of the time I've been guilty of believing this, and I know it's not true. And so, Lord, in Jesus' name, I renounce it. Lord, in Jesus' name, I renounce that agreement, and I choose to believe you that your way is best, that you are for me, that your truth is real truth, you're worth being inconvenienced over, that your plans are too good to miss, that no good thing do you withhold for those who walk uprightly. If you be for me, who can be against me? And all these things I overwhelmingly conquer through Christ who loved me. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Whatever truth you need to grab onto, grab on, I encourage you, grab onto one that you can just speak out loud. You don't have to memorize that word perfect. But the one truth that you can speak out loud to those lies that come your way this week. And so, Father, I pray right now that you speak to our hearts and set us free. Jesus, you came for freedom and set us free. At least to play softly this morning. 
place to play softly. I don't know where this lands with you this morning. But has the Holy Spirit surfaced a lie that you need to disagree with? Has He surfaced a truth that you need to say, man, I need to grab onto that, man. I need to grab onto that truth. And I need to say it this week. I need to believe it this week. I need to hang on to it this week. Maybe there's a burden. You want to come kneel at an altar and, and just kneel down and give God a burden on your life. If you want me to pray for you, I'll be glad to pray. Just come say, please pray for me, and I'll be glad to pray for you. Respond to Jesus. Talk to Jesus right now. One of the lies of the enemy is you can't talk to Jesus. He won't hear you. He won't say anything back. Talk to Jesus right now. Open your heart up to him.